Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you, so call me, 1-800-743-CNBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Mass? We don't need no stinking mass. With one speech from the head of the CDC, this rally was born. All right, granted, there's a little more to it than the mass guidance. We also got a bunch of data points that made our inflation worries go up in smoke. Put it all together, though, and you all you had all the ingredients for a terrific second-day rally. With the Dow gaining 361 points, ah. S&P surging 1.49%. And the Nasdaq skyrocketing 2.32%. Buy, 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 What's incredible is that this move had almost nothing to do with earnings. I mean, sure, we got Disney's yesterday, but I think the market's negative reaction to the very good set of numbers smacks of bogosity. Disney just got the greatest gift, mask-free theme parks. I mean, come on. You don't have to wear this anymore. Or, well, maybe you didn't want to wear this one to begin with. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, we're, we're supposed to dump because uh, dump the stock because some analysts got ahead of themselves on forecasting Disney Plus, and it was their fault, by the way, because the company made the numbers. I say buy the stock at Disney. It's the perfect reopening stock, and today's run was all about the great reopening. So let me just tell you something: you should go House of Pleasure, the House of Mouth. All right. So what's happening next week? Let's get serious here. Uh, next week is Retail Week. When most of the major change is important, I think that's going to generally be pretty darn good thanks to the stimulus checks and all the pent-up demand from the pandemic. But first, we have to get through Monday when we hear from two important electric vehicle makers, Lordstown Motors and Fisker. Lordstown's a former market darling. It was trading at $31 less than four months ago. Management has been excessively promotional when touting their pre-order numbers. Bad call. Since then, the stock has plunged to seven bucks. Fisker's got a lot more legitimacy, even as it's been hammered along with the rest of the group. I think they'll have a better story to tell about their electric SUV, the Ocean, though I, I don't know if it's going to matter. They had that Foxconn deal. It's up a little already. Tuesday morning, Retail Week kicks off a Walmart report. Now, there's been a lot of chatter that the company's doing well, uh, but e-commerce execution fall and hopelessly behind Amazon. No possibility of catching up. i got to tell you, I have not been able to confirm that grim outlook, and I remain convinced that Walmart's worth owning. We own it for the charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionLordsPlus.com club. We also got results from Home Depot. And while the trust doesn't own that one, there's a good chance that's probably a mistake. I say a mistake because this may be the most successful do-it-yourself renovation gardening season in ages. One wrinkle. 
Home Depot has a nasty habit of having its stock run into the quarter. So if it has a good day Monday, uh, the stock might sell off after the quarter, and that's your chance to pounce. We hear from Macy's, too, but sadly, I fear that much of whatever gain it might have has been stolen by today's 14% advance. I expect still one more slightly better than expected set of numbers with a positive undertone. Macy's really needs foreign tourists to visit its stores in Miami and New York, particularly, and uh, they got to buy some merchandise, and we are certainly not there yet. After the close, we get results from Take-Two Interactive, the video game maker that was fabulous stock when everyone thought we'd be stuck indoors from here to eternity. But now Take-Two is regarded as the ultimate lockdown stock in a world that's going back to normal. I beg to disagree. I think this business is go- isn't going anywhere, which is why we own it for the trust. The stock's fallen nearly 50 points from where it was trading just before it reported a pretty good quarter last time. I think it can run here. We are from Free Market Darlings Wednesday morning. I bet all three deliver. I'm talking about Lowe's, Target, and TJX. I think a rejuvenated Lowe's under the leadership of Marvin Ellison is taking share from Home Depot. Meanwhile, Brian Cornell's Target can't stop putting up good numbers after reasserting itself as the dominant fund discounter. TJX quietly makes great money, and this time should be no different. I'm going to stay close to analog devices, ADI in the morning, and Cisco, the CISCO kind, after the close. Because they're among the most important tech companies reporting this week. I think they'll both make us feel real good about the business. Analog devices makes all sorts of chips for thousands of end market users. I mean, their chips are everywhere. Cisco does networking hardware and software for the enterprise big companies. I expect very positive outlook from them. Thursday's a quandary. We get numbers from Kohl's and Ralph Lauren, both of which have seemed, I think they both borrowed a lot from the good news here. Kohl's has soared 51% this year. This year, RL's up 31%, and they just got a big boost when they sold the merely okay Club Monaco division to a private equity firm. I say merely okay because my wife bought me some stuff recently from Club Monaco, and I don't want to like say that she doesn't know what she's talking about, but she doesn't know I have a show, so it doesn't really matter, okay? Ralph Lauren's going more youthful and upscale, so therefore definitely wants to dump me. Uh, it's a good move, and I predicted uh, upgrades into the quarter. I think that people still been waiting, get off the sidelines, analysts, and recommend it. As for Kohl's, it's too daunting uh, after that huge rally. Now, and I have not been, uh, I've been not the best on Kohl's, okay? It went all the way down. I had owners for the trust. Suffice it to say that other people know Kohl's better than I do. How's that? Also, you got to own this stuff. you got to admit this stuff or else people say he doesn't even admit that he didn't get it right. It's better just to admit. Also on Thursday, there's Petco, and that's the aptly tickered Wolf. <laughs> I like the humanization of pets theory. You know, I think that that's been one of the most productive, whether it be from IVAX. I mean, Alanco was up very big this week. And uh, these guys have given us, uh, uh, you know, I think some pretty good, uh, let's say, intel that things are going well. I think they'll be able to capitalize on the pandemic pet boom. I know they've been doing a ton of advertising. Then again, the stock jumped nearly 9% today. So it could again get away before the quarter. People are trying to buy these stocks in anticipation. We know the food stocks have become victims of tough comparisons versus last year when everybody was stockpiling. I'm backing on Hormel to buck that trend when it reports Thursday morning. See, they recently bought one of the most undermanned, undermanaged, underspent brands in the history of the supermarket, and that's Planters Nuts. And I bet they tell a great story about how that acquisition is already paying off. Thursday night, we get results from Applied Materials, AMAT, and Palo Alto Networks. I expect great numbers from both, but I am worried about the forecast from Applied Materials, as it's the premier maker of semiconductor capital equipment. See, they'll have to deal with analyst hecklers tearing apart every sentence, if not every word, because of a sudden plunge in some of the semiconductors, not the ones that go, unfortunately, into cars. I think that's a total exaggeration, but it won't stop the analysts from being skeptical. Palo Alto, that's so much easier. 
Who doesn't want a cybersecurity play when a bunch of hackers just shut off the supply of gasoline to the East Coast? I bet they have excellent numbers. Deer reports on Friday, I'm telling you now, it will be a blowout. It'll be an upside surprise. How can you always, how can something be a surprise if we all know it's going to be a surprise? Riddle me that. But unless the grain complex collapses beforehand, it's probably, uh, let's just say, good, but not fantastic. So be sensitive to the commodity chatter, but understand that we're looking at the strongest agriculture cycle in a decade. We also hear from VF Corp, and I think you could be at the right level. This apparel company has been inconsistent, and the stock will be hostage to Kohl's and Target. Of course, those are the customers. In retrospect, denim's gotten so hot, I wish they hadn't spun off their jeans business as contour brands. Finally, you want Nike without the China worries? Then you might want to buy Foot Locker, but I'm telling you to look at the stock first. That move, has already been made. I think you could have a gap up before getting hit with concerns that there's just been too much of a good thing and not enough woe, so it's time to go. The bottom line, next week's about the consumer spending, okay? Whether at home, outside, in the mall. But before you bet on which retailer's doing the best, you need to count where their stocks are coming from because some of them have run too much, while others, well, they still got room to play catch-up. Let's go to uh, Gotham, Gotham in New Jersey, Gotham. How you doing, Jim? Booyah. Booyah. What's going on, my friend? All right. I'm calling you from the Garden State, Millstone, New Jersey. I got to ah. tell you, I'm a big long-term fan, but my father always makes me turn down the volume when you're on. And let me tell you, watching the show is not the same on closed captioning. Well, I don't know. I think watching it all is pretty good, but thank you. I got two viewers there. We'll make them lower. How about that? What's going on? <laughs> So what's going on with Lyft, Jim? We all know that Uber and Lyft are the future of taxi services. Well, I'll tell you the problem. I don't know if you I don't know if you got a chance to listen to uh, to Tony Shu from DoorDash last night. But he said there's like a shortage of dashers. And I think that that drivers are going to get more expensive. That said, Lyft had a nice three point gain today. So if you do want to go. Go when the getting's good, which would be probably Monday when I expect a lot of analysts will come out and say, ooh, raising price target, lift. Let's go to Anand in Georgia. Anand. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Yeah, I have a question regarding service now. Um, I am down 10% on that. Uh, should I hold it? Should I sell it? You should uh, buy I- it. See, now listen, that's very interesting. Anand's asking a, a question. Should I hold it? Should I sell it? Well, how about the fact that Bill McDermott is a great CEO, that they've got a tons of things in the pipeline, a lot of deals that are doing well, and the stock has come down a lot. So my take is, buy, buy, buy! I'm Nixon the hold, and I'm Nixon the sell. Nixon. All right, Michael in Florida. Michael! Big booyah, you Kramer. I just want to give a quick shout-out to Blue in Berlin, who put me on to your show. I like that. I absolutely I love it. Oh, that's so um, great, man. Question- Thank you. My question today is going to be about Haynes, man. It, it's down like 14%, I think, right now. And it, I think it's going to be a comeback play. Well, because, it is. I, mean, you know, I don't know why. I mean, work. obviously, someone, you know, you know, there were two pieces of good research out about it just yesterday. It's a very good story. I'm kind of in shock that it was down uh, the day before. You know, yes, I mean, two pieces of research is on Wednesday. So I agree with you. I think it's a good situation. 3% yield. I think Haynes is, is going to work. Uh, but remember, in the end, it, it makes, you know, this. And that's not exactly high fashion. And this one's a large. I think I have to go to a medium, get a little more trim. All right. Anyway, next week's about sharing everything. Now, next week's about consumer spending. But keep your eye on where the retailer stocks are coming from. They may have moved too much already on Mad Tonight. Only 1% of venture funds went to black entrepreneurs. 
Tonight, I'm talking with the CEO of Constellation Brands about how it's working to solve, at least try to solve, racial inclusivity in the wine world. Then when a talent activist starts calling for changes that will keep the company, how should you approach the stock? I've got a case study or two. And I'm talking the comeback of the cloud stocks with the CEO of Five9. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After the tragic murder of George Floyd nearly a year ago, all sorts of businesses made big commitments to fight systemic racism. Fast forward to today, and only some of them are following through. And one of these companies is Kramer Fave Constellation Brands. You know them as Corona and Modelo. Last June, Constellation committed to investing $100 million in minority-owned businesses over the next decade as part of a program they're calling Focus on minority founders. The goal here is to level the venture capital playing field. Sadly, after all this time, it's still very hard to get VC funding if you're not a white guy. Constellation wants to break that cycle. Yesterday, they took their first step, announcing a minority investment in a rapidly growing rosé brand called La Fête du Rosé, which was founded two years ago by Donay Burstyn. He's a veteran of the beverage industry. When Constellation announced this initiative last summer, I told them to keep us surprised. So let's take a closer look with Bill Newlands, the CEO of Constellation Brands, and Donay Burstyn, the founder and CEO of La Fête du Rosé. Gentlemen, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks, Thanks Jim. 
All right. So, Bill, uh, give us an update here. We know that you introduced this program on our show. We know that it was a commitment that you said you'd honor and take us by the scenes because you're doing it. We realize that our industry is underrepresented both in women and people of color. In fact, it's not limited to our industry, as you know, Jim. In a recent five-year period, only 1% of venture funds went to black entrepreneurs. And we decided we were gonna help fix that issue and really create some change. And in our judgment, you can do good and do good business and providing access to capital is a great start against that. And why did you pick La Fête du Rosé to start? Well, this was somewhat of an easy one. When you've got a great product, you've got a great brand, you've got a great leader, uh, it, then it becomes easy. That makes it a great investment. You know, Donay, I've got to tell you, my wife drinks rosé. Her girlfriend's drink rosé. I don't drink rosé. Why? Because her wife and her girlfriend's drink it. I don't know it as a drink for me. You have changed that single-handedly. Yeah, that's been our mission since day one, to make rosé far more inclusive. Uh, if you think about, to your point, how it was marketed prior to us uh, launching this brand, it was very much marketed towards women and females. And we wanted to definitely change that narrative and bring more people into the fold, not only just men, but also people of color. So what will you do with the, with the money? What is your plan here? Because uh, my takeaway is, is that this is a darn good idea uh, that I think is going to have real legs. Absolutely. The funds will be used primarily to build out a staff. Uh, people are everything. People help companies grow. So we're definitely going to expand our in-house staff. And then additionally, we'll use the resources to expand. Uh, with our agricultural product like wine, you have to pay for these things ahead of time, although you may not actually have them physically. So we'll be using that to increase our production. Something else you do that I like, that I think if people here on this show, I think it'll change their minds to do a little sampling. You donate a portion of the proceeds. It isn't just, uh, just buying a, a bottle of wine here, right? Not at all. I've, for since the beginning, we've uh, believed in travel. Travel was the thing that changed my life postgraduate. So we wanted to give those same opportunities back to underserved youth and underprivileged kids. So we're going to uh, donate to organizations that provide these travel experiences for kids around the world. OK, so, Bill, I, I think this is such a great idea. That one percent figure is just startling to me, though. I mean, it, 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 Bill, it has to be systemic racism. There is no way that you would take a population that is so big, that is doing, that where people are hardworking, getting, doing great, having families, and just decide they're not important. Because that's what 1% says to me. They're just systematically not important. Well, this is where we said we want to be part of the change. And we'll do our small part, but we think this is going to be important. And certainly it'll be important to our industry. And we're thrilled to partner with Danae to get that program started. Well, I want to go back to something you said, which is you can make money and do good at the same time. Bill, why is it so impossible for so many CEOs to understand that? Well, we looked at the facts. And one of the things that we quickly learned and when we started with our female founders program is that many of the many of the founders actually produced great results uh, in many cases, better than venture funds in other categories. So we said this is an area that's not only good to do, but it's good business and that we can do well with it. Um, and, and, and this has been an important part of why we decided to do it. All right. So, Danae, how about the people who didn't know your success record? Uh, distributors, you go in, uh, they have a, you have a bottle of rosé. What, what, what do they say to you? 
Uh, I'm thankful that I did have some industry relationships, but it definitely was an uphill battle for us. I think that's part of the change that a deal like this uh, from Constellation will help drive is that they will give underserved or smaller brands, I should say, a chance initially, because it's very hard to break into the alcohol industry as a small brand. Distributors have so many other items in their portfolio. So to see a small brand come along and particularly minority owned brands and want to really give them a shot is not something that's high on the, uh, the list of priorities at most distributorships. Do you think that because you're part of the Focus on Minority Founders program, that this summer could be huge for you. You obviously have the staying power. Maybe people say, you know what, I got to stock this in the supermarket, in the wine store. This is going to be this summer's dream because I know there's another, I'm not going to mention, there was another brand, suddenly my wife had tons of it. It's just, this is this, this, is this summer's brand. I want your brand to be the summer's brand. Absolutely. That's the same goal we want. We want to be the number one selling luxury rosé in the world. And this summer is certainly going to kick it off. This is going to be a big summer. We're predicting the roaring 20s. Oh, I love it. And Bill, how about I'm going to ask you, I mean, the usual beer is selling more than ever. We're, we're having a great start to our year. As, uh, as we said on our last quarterly discussion, uh, things are off to a great start. And Modelo is as hot as ever. You've been running out. You know, some, I know some bars that are hard to keep stocked. We're working our best. Well, I got to tell you, I think this is, you know, you know it, it is the Roaring Twenties. It's because it's like Prohibition ended, isn't it? It's like Prohibition yeah, ended. You're back at the bar. I see people drinking way too much, frankly, and I think that's good for our industry, isn't it, today? It's absolutely great, Alvin. Want to see right. triple different growth this year? All right. Well, Donut, congratulations. This is so big. I gotta hold the bottle up because this is just so sensational. This is his, okay? La Fête de Rosé. I'm taking it home this weekend. My, my wife is gonna say, "Wow, you really thought of me for once." Bill Newlands, Constellation CEO, today Burston founder and CEO of La Fête de Rosé. You know what? It's great to have a Friday in the week on this terrific story. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Jim. Man, money's back into the break. Coming up, it's the A-word that will make a CEO shiver in their Armani's. But activist investing doesn't have to be a swear word. Kramer knows just what to do when the barbarians are at the gate. Find out next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. So earlier this week, the Wall Street Journal reported that Elliott Management, arguably the most effective activist hedge fund out there, has taken a substantial position in a kind of boring utility, Duke Energy. Yes, that sprawling gas and electric company based in North Carolina. But whenever Elliott gets involved with a new company, it always piques my interest because these guys have such an impressive track record. 
And Duke Energy is intriguing. See, they've got an attractive core business with operations in the Carolinas, Florida, the Midwest. But the story's also got some hair on it, like some major coal ash liabilities that led to a credit downgrade from Moody's in March. I wouldn't typically be too thrilled about a slow and steady utility at this point in the business cycle. But last year, Duke caught a takeover bid from Next Era Energy. And even though they shot it down, Next Era is apparently still trying to buy parts of the company. Plus, they're paying you to wait with a 3.75% yield. Throw in Elliott's involvement, and you can see why the stock rallied more than 2% this week. Although it didn't hurt that the company reported a solid quarter on Monday night. But this is a very intriguing story. More importantly, we need to watch for what Duke Energy will do next. See, when an activist investor takes a position in your company, you can try to fight them or you can cooperate, sometimes to a greater or lesser extent. If anyone at Duke wants my opinion, they should cooperate. Elliot's been on a real winning streak of late, and even though these guys have a reputation for total ruthlessness, (laughs) that's wrong. See, the truth is they've become surprisingly flexible and more important for those who check their egos at the boardroom, surprisingly helpful. In some ways, the best activist hedge funds are more like management consultants than traditional portfolio managers, except for you don't have to pay them anything. Their goal is to unlock value to help their investors, which, of course, benefits you if you, too, are an owner. So unless the people running the company think that they're wildly off base, it usually makes sense at least to be cordial. Listen, and where there are attractive, salient issues, hey, play ball. Let me give you some recent examples of how an activist should work. I'm going to use three stories involving Elliot. I'm most familiar with them, and I think it's a, well, it's a good primer for everybody out there, but especially for the companies that are watching. We're going to start with Crown Castle, CCI. Now, that's a Kramer Fave cell tower company with a stock I like so much that we own it for the Charitable Trust, which you can follow by joining the ActionLearsPlus.com club. Now, we got into this one in November, and after nearly half a year where the stock traded sideways, we've now got a a hard-fought win. I mean, really good, thanks to Crown Castle's rally over the last couple of months. Now, you had to be patient here because when the market went into full-blown speculative mania mode last year, well, and early this year, too, Wall Street turned against boring, consistent growers like this real estate investment trust, even though the long-term fundamentals were fantastic. The story here is pretty straightforward. Elliott Management got involved with Crown Castle last summer. They took a big position, then communicated privately with management before publishing a series of open letters to the board in July and August. Elliott gave them a number of recommendations about how the company could improve operations and better deploy its capital. But here's the crux of the issue. Crown Castle is unique in the cell tower industry because in addition to traditional towers like the ones you see by the road all the time at uh, top of buildings, they've also spent a lot of money building out fiber and small cell sites that provide wireless coverage in more densely populated areas. Companies shut out $16 billion in this business. And in Elliott's view, those investments needed to be dialed back because they weren't making enough of a return. In response, Crown Castle mostly shot them down, pretty much saying, thanks, but we're fine. Uh, There was no big fight, no drama. The whole big thing was very anticlimactic, actually. But over the course of the last year, it sure seems like the company has quietly taken Elliott's suggestions to heart. I don't know what went on, but in July, Crown Castle made some corporate governance changes. Then they brought in the two new board members in October, refreshed that board, and another in December. That's good news. Also, last October, they gave you an 11% dividend boost. No, so necessary. In November, they, they brought in a new executive to run the contentious fiber business. 
Most important, when Crown Castle reported three weeks ago, they gave in on Elliott's core demand with a 30% reduction in discretionary capital expenditures for that fiber segment. Of course, management might argue that this was the plan all along, right? I mean, they already built out the network, no more spending needed. But I think this represents a smart, subtle way actually to handle pressure from activist shareholders. You publicly refuse to help, right? You say, listen, I'm not going with their stuff. Then privately, you adopt their best ideas. And hey, it's finally working for Crown Castle, which has seen its stock shoot higher over the past few months. Uh, look, bad etiquette, no doubt, but no credit where credit is due. But more money, nonetheless. Next up, public storage, okay? This is a real estate investment trust that's the largest owner of self-storage facilities in the world. Last December, we found out that Elliott had taken a position here, and the next day, they published an open letter to the board suggesting some changes, nominating six directors. Within weeks, public storage announced that they'd reached a deal with Elliott, giving them two board seats and setting up a long-term planning committee. Elliott pulled its its other four board candidates, and they also set up an information-sharing agreement. So far, it's all going very well. Public storage has seen its stock rally about 24% since the story first broke in mid-December. Elliott's thesis here was that the company had great assets, but they weren't investing in aggressively enough. A month ago, public storage set out a change uh, to change. They, they decided to buy EZ storage for $1.8 billion in a deal that should be immediately additive to funds from operations. Then they held their big investor day earlier this month and revealed a new plan to use technology and bold on acquisition to grow earnings. In short, Public storage is an example of partial cooperation. The company agreed to work with Elliott and gave the activists some of what they wanted, even if they didn't give them everything they wanted. I think this makes a lot more sense than the stealth approach we saw with Crown Castle because shareholders generally like to see this kind of cooperation. There's no reason to keep quiet about it. With Crown Castle, you had to read between the lines to fully understand the story. But most investors prefer to be spoon-fed information. Third and final strategy, when an activist gets involved, you just give them the keys. This is what Twitter did when Elliott got involved uh, early last year. And you know what? It's been a spectacular win for the stock, for you, a shareholder, perhaps. When Elliott took aim at Twitter in late February of last year, they were very aggressive, right out of the gate. They demanded that founder and CEO Jack Dorsey step down after he announced plans to start spending half the year in Africa. To Dorsey's credit, he didn't take it personally. Within weeks, Twitter made a deal with Elliott, adding one of their partners, Jesse Cohn, who's really smart, to the board of directors. Dorsey walked back his African plans and worked enthusiastically with Elliott. Since then, the stock surged from 33 to 51 and changed. And that's after pulling back from 80 bucks at its highs a couple of months ago. By the way, the stock tumbled 15% in the wake of a not-so-hot quarter a couple of weeks ago. But apparently, Elliott's buying on weakness because we found out they'd purchased another $200 million worth of stock right here. Rather than fighting with the activists, Twitter brought them into the boardroom. And it really seems to have paid off. At these levels, I'm actually thinking of adding it to the bullpen of my club's recommended list. The bottom line, when a talented activist firm starts agitating for uh, changes at a given company, history suggests that management should actually cooperate with their ideas, which they don't even have to pay for. The more obvious you can make cooperation, the more Wall Street likes it. So watch for these situations because a really smart activist firm with an amazing track record can create some terrific investment opportunities for you. Brittany and Marilyn. Brittany. Booyah, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, And to you and your wonderful team for helping us young investors. Oh, that's great. We love young investors. We're trying to teach you all the things that we did wrong. So you don't do them. (laughs) No, so we don't do them at all. Mm -hmm. Um, As a member of Action Alerts, I bought Salesforce at the start of the year, but it's been going down ever since. 
Now that the CDC guidance has lifted the mask mandates uh, for the vaccinated individuals, do you think it's a good time to buy more here or just to cut my losses? Uh, yeah, I think it is. And remember, I also talked about how they, uh, on the conference call yesterday that I did with Action Alert, that the acquisition is not liked. Uh, the Slack acquisition. I, on the other hand, think that Mark Benioff is one of the great acquirers of our generation and will make the most of that. I thank you for being in the club and thank you for saying those nice words about the staff, particularly at the end of Friday when everyone's kind of a little bit flagging, except for me. All right. When a talented activist firm starts agitating for changes, management should cooperate. Perhaps they even can adopt some of these tiers of activism. OK, much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with the CEO of Red Hot 5.9. Could today's rise into the stock signal it's time to buy? Then, these past two days are the reasons I continue to say stay the course. I'll reveal it. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Like I told you last night, when commodity prices fall from their highs, investors stop worrying about inflation, and that allows the beaten down growth stocks to make a comeback. That's exactly what happened today. Take 5.9. That's the cloud-based software company with a call center platform. Here's a stock that was a huge winner last year, thanks to the rise of the stay-at-home economy. But in the last couple of months, it's been hammered, along with all the other software-as-a-service plays. 5.9 is a great example because we've known its business is in great shape ever since the company reported an excellent quarter in late April. It just didn't matter because the group was so out of favor with that Wall Street fashion show I always talk about. Now, though, 5.9's compadres are getting traction again, with the stock jumping more than 3% today. Now, look, I don't know if it's a temporary relief rally or a real bottom for the group, but I think it's worth keeping track of this story. So let's check in with Rowan Trollope. He's the CEO of 5.9. to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Trollope, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me back. Okay, so Rowan, a lot of companies have said that things look good, maybe a little deceleration, but they hope that for the best. Your company is accelerating. Why? You know, we are accelerating. Uh, three big three big reasons, Jim. The first is the market. The market is hot. Uh, the demand for cloud is accelerating. And, and I've been telling people that the evangelism phase for cloud software is really over. We're, we're not having to convince customers that cloud is an acceptable option anymore. They're just diving in. In fact, just this last quarter, two of the biggest deals in our company's history were signed. We signed one global shipping company for over $14 million in ARR. So that's number one, the market is hot and customers are looking to reimagine their customer experience, right? Businesses try to are trying to say, how can we serve our customers better? As you know, I've been obsessed with this mission of I know. ending bad customer service, as you have. <laughs> And um, and customers are onto it now, and it's and it's just absolutely kicking butt. I mean, last quarter we grew forty five percent. We accelerated to forty five percent. So we've been, you know, since our IPO came out in the low twenties, accelerated over the last you know number of years, and now forty five percent revenue growth. And the second reason, Jim, is really all about product innovation. Uh, AI and automation are leading the day right now with large customers who are basically saying, "Look, we have got to be more efficient." The contact center has become the new front door for a lot of companies, especially as they look to leverage digital channels. Uh, they they want to drive automation there. And we have the one of the market-leading automation portfolios that's helping customers save a lot of money. All right. So uh, my assistant made an appointment recently at a drugstore uh, to see for a, a thing called Shingles. It's a shingles vaccine that I hope no people ever get that disease. Uh, so I wanted to call to be sure I had the appointment. And uh, Rowan, I got the dial hit one, hit two, hit three. And I knew I was a dead man. 
I know it's a dead man because my question was not easily answered by the four categories. Because I want to know what time my appointment was made by my secretary. So I didn't go and get the shot. I didn't go and get the shot because I don't want to deal with those because you know that that is the dead end for all customers. What can you do to save me from the dead end? It's so frustrating, Jim, and I'm sorry you didn't get your shot. But the situation with that, that's called in, in the industry, we call that an IVR. It's the old school legacy approach to sort of, you know, the, the push one, push two for this. We want to get rid of that. And we've introduced just in the last six months a product called 5.9 IVA, which is an intelligent virtual agent. It's conversational. So it uses Google and Amazon technology under the covers so that you can just speak to it in a natural language. And if it can't figure out what you're calling about, it can connect you immediately and seamlessly to an agent or to a human being to help you with your problem. And that technology works on the phone so it can speak to you using text to speech, or it can also engage with you on a text message chat. So if you're text messaging with you, that's often the way people wanna engage these days. They don't wanna call at all because of these kinds of experiences. So increasingly folks are saying, let me just text you or go on your website and chat with you. And behind the scenes, what's powering that experience is this AI technology that we call the IVA. And it's doing really well. In fact, the big customer that I referenced earlier, the $14 million ARR customer for us, they actually anticipate over the life of the contract, they're going to save $59 million in their contact center by leveraging this automation technology. So it's a better experience for you, the customer, and it's a way better experience for the business who gets to save money and improve the experience that their customers have. So IVA, I, I that's ended the up walking to the drugstore myself to find out what I put But what I would have loved is uh, what I have with Alexa. I just speak to it. I imagine what you're talking about is very similar. I can just speak slowly. They'll understand and get me to where I have to go. That's right. In fact, uh, last quarter uh, we launched with COVID Clinic. COVID Clinic was making, you know, giving information about COVID and the vaccines and everything else. And they used our IVA technology uh, to save them tons and tons of money with these con- these natural conversational agents, again, powered underneath the covers right. by those advances you've seen by Alexa and Google Home Assistant. Those are available so that a, a relatively small outfit like, like COVID Clinic could deliver something incredible to their customers. Well, I, I just hope one day you're everywhere because oil, because what makes your blood boil more than press one, press two? And the answer is very few things. And it's usually <laughs> it's usually when it's an emergency or something that has to happen. It's very rare exactly. that it's just something that, hey, I want to go buy a fishing pole from Target. Let me check one, two, three. All right. Exactly. Well, Roland Trollope, again, another great quarter. Uh, this one even faster than the others we've had you on. CEO of 5.9. Good to see you, sir. Thanks, Jim. Good to see you, too. Maybe growth is back. If growth is back, well, this one has more growth than most of the large software companies we have on. They have money's back into the brain. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time. And the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Dad, for the lightning round. I'm going to start with JJ in New York. JJ. 
Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. Uh, I'm looking at Rada Electronics, R-A-D-A. A, a highly valued Israeli uh, weapons company, and I shoot back and I say Raytheon Technologies, a less expensive one with a lot of diversification and better growth profile. Anthony in Minnesota. Anthony. Hey, Kramer. Booyah from Minnesota. All right. What's going on? Uh, the one I'm interested in is VNT, Volunteer. What can you tell me about Trump's that? Fleet Logistics, good business, good business. And by the way, I mean, with all the problems we're having with freight, I happen to like the XPO Logistics Company. Oh, man, this is, okay, XPO. All right, sometimes I actually forget the, I don't they spun it off. Let's go to Bob in Indiana. Bob. Yeah. Bob. Hi, Jim. Hi, Bob. Hey, I got a question for you, okay? Sure, man. What's up? Hey, Zynga. My wife is always on the phone. I don't know a lot about phones and technology and all this kind of stuff. I owned a butcher shop for 20 years in the Grange. Okay. I sold it. Got, got a little bit of money trying to figure out what we want to do. She's like, well, buy Zynga. I'm always playing these games. Well, it's, it's finally right time to buy Zynga. Your wife's right. I think you should pick up some Zynga. I can't believe I just said that myself, but it's absolutely true. I think that that is a decent situation. And it's been a long time. David Faber always jokes to me, when do, what time is it time to buy Zynga yet? Groupon and Zynga, and they're both okay. Can you imagine? Let's go to Nick in Pennsylvania. Nick! Jimmy Chill. The Chill Man is in the house. What's up? Nick from Harrisburg, PA. Um, you're a legend in the game, man. Confessions of a Street Addict is one of my all-time favorites. My, oh, question is about a com- my question is about companies using psychedelics for mental health treatment. I've been reading some fascinating research, and I know Kevin O'Leary is a huge believer in this sector, in particular, Mind Medicine, ticker symbol MNMD. What are your thoughts on Mind Med as a long-term investment? Okay, yeah, I know this, and I'm not sure about it. Uh, Maybe it's because I'm the chief spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation, but uh, I'm a little bit more, uh, uh, I I, I don't want to say rigorous, because I'm sure maybe these guys are terrific, but uh, it's, the brain is a tough one. All right. And I've got the best neurologist in the world on the board of the company that I work for. And I just need I'd like them to check off. How about that? Let's go to John in California. John. Booyah, Jim. John. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, What are your thoughts about Hyatt Hotels? Eh, It's okay. It's not great. And I'm not sure I want Marriott anymore. You know why? Because I thought that Chesky did such a good job on the Airbnb call. And you know what? The only weak point was international. And the international is going to come back when the rest of the world settles this COVID situation. So I am telling you right here, right now, that I think that you should buy Airbnb. Let's go to Demetrius in Texas. Demetrius. J-I to the M. Booyah. Booyah. I am excited about the emerging sports betting industry. I am too, man. I am too. All of us spec lovers want to know, should we bet on S-E-A to the H for the win? Take away, Jim. Amen. You got Eric Grubin. Eric Grubin made this. is a rather incredible story, okay? This company made an acquisition. It, they did an unbelievable cheap valuation versus a win by Win International. And you know I like Bill Foley, so this is not dumping on Bill Foley. And you know I like Win. My travel trust owns it. But Sports Entertainment Acquisition did this deal. No one is focused on it whatsoever. And I think it's bountiful and fabulous. And we know Eric because he's on the show a number of times. Uh, and there's a, look, it's John Collins. There's a lot of smart guys. But I think that stock at 10 is a buy, buy, buy. Betsy in California. Betsy! Hey, Jim. Um, you did something 
in December of 2019 that changed my life. You had James Conroy on your show. And I started following Boot Barns then and follow it now. But that isn't really why I'm calling to thank you, Jim. I'm calling because you taught me. You taught me how to listen to a conference call. You taught me what a difference it made to have price earnings and growth. And here is a company, Jim, that has all their best events for the year ahead of them. They're already up 80.63% year to date. When you told me about them and I started buying them, that stock is up over 3 133 percent. Well, I like to give credit where credit is due. Yes, it did hit an all-time high today. Is that Matt Boss turned me on to it. He said, excellent, J.P. Morgan. I never want to take credit for something when I just know that someone enlightened me. But yes, you're right. I teach on this show. That's what the show is about. And I have taught endlessly that Boot Barn is an underpen- in an underpenetrated market. Conroy runs a great company. And thank you for listening. Thank you for letting me in your house to teach. Because that is what I'm doing at this age. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. If this week has taught us anything, it's don't be too negative. Of course, that's the same lesson we've been learning ever since this bull market got rolling way back in March of 2009. When you get too pessimistic... You'll probably miss out on some remarkable gains because more often than not, things actually work out for the better. Rewind the tape. We came into this week with a pervasive sense that inflation was everywhere, that it was raging out of control and could wreck vast swaths of the stock market, lumber, semiconductors, copper, iron ore. They all seem to be going inexorably higher, and those price increases hurt you and hurt me. Lots of money managers assume that Fed Chief Jay Powell had to be on a some sort of intellectual vacation. Powell's been committed to keeping rates low in order to help create jobs. But to the inflationistas, he was whistling past the graveyard. Meanwhile, we closed the door on the stay-at-home economy stocks, but we were also having trouble with the great reopening plays, in part because they'd already run so much, but in part because of lingering worries about the pandemic. Remember, it was only six weeks ago the director of the CDC was talking about impending doom from all the new COVID variants spreading among people who refuse to get vaccinated. To make matters worse, some outfit we never heard of, Colonial Pipeline, turned out to control the gasoline supply in the East. Uh, and the pipeline went offline because of a cyber attack from some Russian hackers. The hackers went at five mil, and at first Colonial wouldn't pay the ransom. So we got hoarding, gouging, and of course surging oil prices and probably tens of millions of dollars worth of lost productivity because they wouldn't pay to FIVO. Then we got the coup de grace, a consumer price index number that showed 4% inflation, something that Genie suggested that the Genie was already out of the bottle, so forget about it. Uh, the Fed would need to relentless, relentlessly raise interest rates, hard landing, something that crushed the economy, and that's why the market rolled over on Wednesday. <laughs> But in this last couple of days, nearly every part of that negative scenario is unraveled. Let's think about it. Let's think about it. We did that chart piece last night. Lumber, the, le- the leading inflation culprit had a classic blow-off top. It's now plummeting, down 7% for the week. Copper and iron followed. Copper, iron down 10% last night. The grains rolled over. Then we learned the notebook sales had slowed year over year, which caused pricing for some semiconductors to plummet. Oh, and Colonial Pipeline, it paid the darn ransom, allowing oil to cool off. In the meantime, the flood of IPOs that have been waterboarding this market finally slowed to a trickle as deal after deal got canceled because nobody wants to come public in a nationwide market-wide meltdown. 
Finally, we had no stock supply to weigh us down, and it was glorious. It doesn't hurt that some of these newly minted big tech companies with downtrodden stocks like DoorDash and Airbnb reported excellent quarters that drew upgrades, not price target cuts. Finally, the doom and gloomster in chief, CDC Director Walensky, suddenly told us people who've been vaccinated can take off our masks and go back to our normal lives. The result, one of the most amazing two-day rallies I can recall, two days that you would have missed if you had fully bought into the inflation narrative nightmare. It's an important lesson, people, and this is why I'm always telling you to stay the course, because even when things look ugly, will often snap right back, and you usually won't have time to buy your stocks back near the bottom. If you missed the last two days, you're missing out on some of the most important gains of the year. I don't even know if you want to come in on Monday after these big gains. What can I say? It's always darkest before the dawn. That can be hard to remember when the whole market's getting blasted, but that's that's when you most need to stick to your guns, people. Stay the course. Even if you still want to sell everything, you're going to get a better chance today than you were on Wednesday. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'd find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.